so sadly the recording system didn't quite work at church um, this morning, and so we're re-recording now. Um, we began by saying this was a slightly unusual time for us at Modern Road, a slightly different series from normal. We're doing something topical. We're thinking particularly about what it means to be made in the image of God and how there is an inherent value and worth and dignity from being made in that image. And we, we said as well that we were having some broad thoughts today as we were considering gender, um, the gender confusion within our society. And we were hoping to sensitively um, critique and think through our culture and where we've got to. But we said as well that it was opening something of a can of worms and so we prayed to the Lord for clarity and wisdom and asked that he would shape us by his words and what he says rather than what perhaps society says or opinions that different people have. And so then we began in and I said, in my mind, one of the very uh, concerning patterns that's emerged in the past few years, uh, especially in universities, for students to set up so-called safe spaces, places where they could be so as to not have their views challenged. In fact, we mentioned it in week one of the series, the idea that uh, the new dignity that society is grasping for is not an inherent dignity that comes from being made in God's image anymore, but rather it's a dignity that comes from being like God and we said it was a freedom to and a freedom from a freedom to redefine and rewrite rights and wrongs for, for examples of matters of life and death or, or gender and marriage but we also said that today's dignity means a freedom from and I quote a freedom from language or ideas that offend me or that challenge decisions I have made. And so it was, frankly, pleasing to read the introductory comments from the new incoming Vice-Chancellor of the University, Professor Louise Richardson. In an interview, she said this, she recently said, we need to expose our students to ideas that can make them uncomfortable so that they can think about why it is that they feel uncomfortable and what it is about those ideas that they object to. And then to have the practice of framing a response and using reason to counter these objectionable ideas and to try and change the other person's mind and to be open to having their own minds changed. You see what she's saying? I I agree that the brain is like a muscle. (coughs) To grow and to develop and to thrive and to flourish, we, we can't just listen to the voices that we agree with or the people that we respect, and so then close down anyone that offends us. Genuine tolerance means giving people a voice, how, however much we might disagree with them, but then being able to respond in rational debate. And as the mind is challenged and stretched and engaged with, it then grows and develops. And historically, that is how education has worked. But often it's not the case now. And I say that as we start, because this is just the kind of topic, as we, as we think about gender today, where we as Christians will be different. It, it's a hot topic at the moment. It's a topic that we need to think carefully and think kindly about, whether, whether that's the, the Danish girl at the cinema just now, or, or Brighton College's move to transgender school uniforms last week. 
the kind of topic that we need to get to grips with. And I have to say, in writing this talk this last week or two, <coughs> I have realised I have a long way to go in wrestling with this. And so please, will you come to me afterwards, bring your Bibles, and, and come and challenge me and chat to me. I'd love to hear where I've got stuff wrong. What I want us to do, really this morning, is, is to have a look at two things. One is, as we have each week, is to have a look at our culture and try and work out what's happened and why there's such a confusion at the moment. But then secondly, to begin to think about a framework for what the Bible has to say about things. Did you know that if you're, if you're a new user on Facebook, there are now 50 gender options for you to choose from? How did we get here? How and why has society changed so incredibly rapidly? What does it all mean? We can barely keep up. Let me try and help critique some of what we're seeing and why we're seeing it with, with four steps, I think, that seem to be taking place. The first step, as you see on the PowerPoint there, is that myself and my desires are king. Ever since Genesis 3, and, and we'll be there in a bit, our view of self has gone wrong. In, in getting rid of God from the equation, humanity has sought to be completely in charge of self. I am at the heart of my reality. It, it's all about me. And I want to live my life as I want to live it. I want to be the captain of my own ship and not have to answer to anyone. I want to love myself, to accept myself and... If I need to, to avoid blame when I do stuff wrong, because it's, it's just me, how I've been built, it's not my fault. And you see, this is really vital for us this morning, as we try and unpick our culture. Because we live in a culture where increasingly my desires rule. You see, if my... If I'm the captain of my ship, then my desires will rule everything. I will do what I want to do. So, firstly, myself and desires are king. Secondly, and so society has shifted and is shifting, step two. Because you when self and desires are king, because our desires are constantly shifting, different fashions and thoughts and ideas and beliefs that come and go, well, then our culture is constantly shifting too to reflect that. It's driven in large part by the media. The one phrase that's often used is that, is that our culture is liquid. Have you heard that? It means that it's self-inventing and ever-changing, week by week, month by month, year by year. Things evolve and develop and we, we can barely keep up with what's going on. And yet it's even more than that. Because we'll see that boundaries are pushed and norms are rewritten and, and those boundaries being pushed are seen as something heroic. Something to be applauded. The kind of thing that, that sells newspapers. We invent and we reinvent. We work and we rework society. Yet this new dignity of, of pushing the boundaries of humanity and this matters because that is the backdrop as we think about all kinds of things, including gender. The backdrop of the kingship of, of desire and self, a backdrop of 
invention and reinvention in our, in our liquid, ever-changing culture. And things have changed remarkably quickly. It means that, that phrases like this are very common. Third step. The phrase is, so gender is in your head. It's a quote from someone called uh, Chaz Bono, Sonny and Cher's transgender daughter. She pithily says this. It, it, it really hollows what's going on. She says, gender is between your ears and not between your legs. Th- that is, in much modern thinking, gender is, is not at all about your physical body, but rather only about what you feel. It, it, it's a new key narrative of Western society. It's completely redefined the gender discussion. Even just a century ago, an atheist scientist like Thomas Huxley would see gender as primarily physical, an objective biological fact, but now it's now it's simply subjective. Nothing nothing really to do with nature, your your physical body or, or your nurture, your upbringing and your social conditioning. But it's simply about how you feel at a point in time. And yet we must say this as well. We must say that confusion reigns. I could give you lots of examples, but just for time's sake, just two, to show something of the inconsistency and confusion out there at the moment in our culture. We've, <coughs> we've said right through the series that part of the difficulty of engaging with these things is is the confusion and mix and mess of ideas. It's not coherent necessarily yet. But here are two brief recent examples to highlight that. The first one is a lady called um, Rachel Dolezal. Remember her? She was, she was in the news last year, an American black activist, and she, she saw and she sees her identity as a black woman. But last June, for, for reasons known to them, her parents outed her went to the press because she was born white. Now, I'm not making a a huge point on this, except to highlight the widespread anger and vitriol in response to her when she was outed. You see, there's a confusion. In other cases, you can, in your mind, be male or female, regardless of your chromosomes. Whereas here, for Rachel, who it seems has done a huge amount of good for the black community... She is unacceptable. And yes, she's covered it up. But in her mind, she identifies as black. So why is she unacceptable? She desires to be black. She associates even with a a black identity. So why can't she have one? Why has her situation brought such anger to so many? The second bit of confusion comes from that's someone called Stephanie Walsh. That's Stephanie is 52 from Toronto. There's a picture of her there on the PowerPoint. And in the interview with her it goes like this, and I, and I quote: "She she realised she was transgender rather than simply a cross-dresser at age 46, and split from her wife Maria. Now, Stephanie lives with friends who she calls her adoptive mummy and daddy, as a six-year-old girl." dressing in children's clothing and spending her time playing and colouring with her adoptive parents' grandchildren. As you can imagine, as you scroll down and read the comments section on the the articles, this story, and others like it, divide people, because 
society doesn't know what to do with it. If gender is simply between your ears, not between your legs, then where does that leave Stephanie? In her mind, she's a girl, but but a six-year-old girl. Is age between your ears as well? Is she a six-year-old girl because it's what she desires? It's what she sees herself as? Are our desires ever bad? When are they bad? Why are they bad? Who gets to decide whether all desires are, are legitimate? Well, when are lines crossed? Are they ever wrong? Is, is she a six-year-old girl? Why? Why not? And so confusion reigns. Now, just a brief dabbling and seeking to open up some of the themes and ideas out there at the moment as we watch the news and chat to our friends. But before we get into the Bible, just a couple more caveats as we come to the text. The first thing to say is this, is that <coughs> I think confusion about gender, whether in society or in the church, comes from either overplaying our differences, that is, Surely this is what a male or female must be like. Or else from underplaying our differences. Well really we're all just the same, aren't we? second thing to say is that much of the confusion about gender, whether society or the church, I think comes from the fact that we've overly absorbed and been shaped by male or female gender stereotypes. Now, it is true, studies have shown that across cultures there are, on average, differences between the genders. But, but it's on average. So, for example, boys have been shown to be more physical and rough and tumble, on average. But, of course, some boys are not. And some girls are. That's how averages work. You have a bell-shaped curve and there are people at either end. Different cultures and subcultures will have different, deeply rooted stereotypes, but that's the thing with averages. People at each end of the bell curve ought not be made to feel like they don't belong or that they're not right. That's how averages work. I think it's worth saying this, and... And this, in a sense, is a, is a bit of an eye-opener for me this week. That is that the Bible may not answer the exact questions that we have about gender, about male and female, but particularly roles in society outside of marriage. There is not a passage that clearly says, here's what it means to be a man, or here's what it means to be a woman. At least I've not found it. Do you come show me afterwards. Frustratingly, it's just not as simple as that. So we need to be humble and to take care, to not overstretch what the Bible does not say, but also to be overly shaped by our culture and preconceptions. This is a complicated topic. I'm aware that for some in this room it may be something personal rather than hypothetical. It, it may be a genuine issue. And so if that's you and perhaps something you've not spoken to others about, then let me urge you, please, to prayerfully perhaps find someone to confide in and talk to. But let's get to the text. I want to spend most of our time in Genesis 1-3, to and we see our first point from there. 
of the pattern of creation. We'll start off again in Genesis 1, 26-28. Let me read those verses again for us in our church Bible, starting on page 3 and through to page 4. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that we may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Remember, up to this point it's been good. God speaks and God makes and it was good. And then day six, at day six we have the creative pinnacle. We, there's a break in the text, almost as if we, we take a deep breath and then man and woman made as two sexes, male and female, absolutely equal but different, the culmination of creation. That they're to be part of creation, like what's come before, but they're to be different. They're set apart. They're made in the image of God. And that is a new thing, a special thing. And we said in week one that <laughs> that comment there, that being made in the image of God, brings with it ideas of relationships and responsibility. But part of what it means to be in God's image and doing what he's called us to do means to be male and female. Together we image him. We, we both deeply bear his image. We are both utterly vital, as if, as if one without the other is not enough. Humanity needs male and female to complete the jigsaw that images God. It's, it's an equal call. It's a gendered unity to together rule over the earth, to fill it and to subdue it. Obviously that's primarily seen in marriage. Genesis 2 will make that explicit, but it's not exclusively so. I think that these principles apply to us, whoever we are and whatever our relational status. We, we need both male and female. But we must say this. <coughs> As the Bible unfolds, I, I think we have to say that God cares about the physical. We are physical beings with physical bodies, and our culture can lose that, but I, I don't think the Bible will let us do so. And it's important because Christians even get this wrong. It, it won't do for us to say, well, who I really am is simply the person in my heart or in my head or my soul. That's the real me. The body isn't the real me. The body's just the outer covering. It doesn't matter that much. I, I don't think that works. There's a common thought, but it's wrong. In fact, I, I think it had predecessors in a sort of Gnostic thinking that had its roots in Greek philosophical ideas. Think of it a bit like this. Essentially they said, well, well, when you head to the fish and chip shop, you can throw away the newspaper wrapping. It doesn't really matter that much. You don't go to the fish and chip shop to get a newspaper. No, what really matters is the food inside. The fish and the chips, that's what you go for. Well, so they said... Your body's that's just a shell. Your body doesn't matter that much. The physical is not so important. But I don't think the Bible gives us license for that. 
Come and challenge me after if you like, but but I think the Bible is clear that the physical does matter. We are joined up beings. Whether it be in Genesis 2 when the Lord makes man from the dust of the ground and then breathes in spirit and gives life. Genesis 2 verse 7. Or or as Jesus takes on flesh with a a real, touchable body, becoming a real physical sacrifice and having a brand new, real physical creation body as he rises again on the Sunday. Or or Paul, as he speaks of sexual ethics and and not using temple prostitutes in 1 Corinthians 6, the, the argument, I think, hangs around something of the physical nature of bodies. And that how we use them matters. Which I think, I think that means where society in common speech seeks to very quickly loosen and separate sex and gender, I'm not sure we can do that so easily. Sex being the physical characteristics that we have, gender being an individual's understanding or or society's understanding of that person's sexual identity. You see, whereas Charles Bono says gender is between your ears, not between your legs, that is, gender and sex are are easily and clearly separable, I'm not sure it's that easy. Yes, there are biological exceptions. Yes, gender may not be entirely and only about the physical, but I think the physical plays a huge part far bigger than society currently seems to want to give credit for. And you see, you see, as the world is asking, what does define and determine gender? Is it just chromosomal fact? Is it simply nurture or social convention or how you bring up a child? Or, or is it just choice? How you feel at that point. Is it between your ears? Well, the Bible says God made the genders for a reason. Slightly complicated this, but the world does not have a way to explain the genderedness behind humanity. There is no intention or meaning of gender. Why? Well, because if we do away with God... Well, then we do away with understanding of what God wants for humanity. And so then we do away with understanding what God wants for gender. The world just becomes an accident and humanity has no real meaning. And so gender has no real meaning, no purpose. But the Bible clearly says we're not just accidents here on earth. God God has good intentions for us. Our our relationships and responsibilities, our gender intentions to together image him. The, the woman is a perfect complementary partner for him. And so perfectly and in unity together they are to fill and subdue this earth that he's given. Ruling and stewarding and reigning. And gender is something deliberate. It's a part of the plan. I said, you see, as we play fast and loose with gender, then, then in a sense, I wonder if we're undoing 
some of what God has done. And so therefore distorting the image of God that we are made to reflect together. And of course though, Genesis 1 and 2 don't stop there. Very soon we reach Genesis 3 and we see that that it all changes. Second point then, the the shattering of the fall. So first point was the pattern of the fall from Genesis 1. Second point is the shattering of the fall from Genesis 3. Do you see, man and woman want to be like God. They want to be in charge. They want to call the shots. They want to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. That, that is how Satan tempts them. They doubt God. They doubt his word. They doubt his goodness. And they don't want to have him dictate how they ought to live. They want to be captain of their own ships. And it started with them. And it's every generation since. The whole creation order shattered and disordered, leaving the confusion and the the mess that there is now. Where self and desire set the agenda, where the agenda, where, where desires may not be challenged. And so let me read. Genesis three fourteen to 20 again for us. I'm sure familiar words, but good to reflect upon them in light of gender. Verse 14, so, Genesis 3 and 14, So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. The dust you are, unto dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. (coughs) So do you see, God addresses each individual involved in rebelling against him. But as he addresses Adam and Eve, we see something of their gendered identity being worked out. Because we see how the fall affects their roles. How they are cursed. So, so Eve, so-called because she's the mother of the living, will now find childbearing hard. And Adam, well he's still to work the ground and take care of it. Dignified work that we saw before Genesis 3, back in chapter 2, it, it's still there. <coughs> Excuse me, it's just now, it's incredibly hard. I think, of course, that, that means only Eve is to bring up the kids. We, we saw as we were having the thanksgiving for Amelia and from Ephesians 6 that, that fathers are, are addressed in terms of looking after children or 
Or we don't think it's only Adam who is to work, because as Scripture develops and unfolds and flourishes, we see gender roles and identities developing and evolving. And there's much, much more nuance and variety than sometimes we, we seem to give credit for, but together they are to fill the earth and subdue the earth. Together they are to image God. As, as I take it from Genesis 1, days 1 to 6, just as we saw him forming and filling and bringing order well so now that is our job and so now for us to be like him both male and female are utterly vital and necessary together we we bring order we we form perhaps we reform and we fill the earth or in chapter 3 I think you see the battle of the sexes starting and this is a a really important verse for this topic it is 3 and verse 16. You see there, your, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And why is that an important verse? Well, because even at the very start, even from Genesis 3, there are hints of manipulation and control and heavy-handedness and dominance. It's not a not a positive verse at all. The, the trajectory is set. And rather than there being a, a unity and a complementarity with the pattern that God has set and, and imaging God how they were meant to, there's division. There's competition for power. There are roles and relationships being ruined and swapped. There's the initial pattern, gendered pattern, and the blueprint is challenged. And so you see, we must read... Genesis 3 and the fall, in light of, and through the lens of, Genesis 1 and 2, what ought to be, and what we were created for, the original blueprint. But also vice versa, we must read Genesis 1 and 2 in light of, and through the lens of, Genesis 3, being realistic and clear about where we are and how we got here. Now that's, that's just a scratch in the surface, well... We'll look at some more stuff in home groups and think about some different passages too, but I'm sure I've left you with more questions than you started with, and it could very easily be a series of ten or fifteen or twenty. But I hope you see both something of why we're in a mess as a society. Because we want to be God of our lives, because desires rule, and if my desire is that I have an identity as a black person or a six-year-old girl, but I'm clearly not, then where does that leave us? But I hope you also see something as well as to why we as a church can, can find it hard to engage with it. Because surely it's because the Bible's story of reality and the world's story of reality are now so very different. Maybe we use the same words. Maybe similar language, but they're very different assumptions. Different presuppositions, different worldviews. And, and we think we're talking about the same thing when we use words like marriage or gender or humanity but but we're not talking about the same thing anymore when you when you remove god from the equation well, so we begin to make up and construct our own reason for being and when it comes down to it when we snip ourselves off from god humanity has no real ultimate meaning and so gender has no real ultimate meaning and we just end up constructing our own ultimate meaning 
But God says, no, I made humanity for a reason. It, it was not an accident. I made gender for a reason. It was not an accident. T- together, in loving service, you are to show something of what I'm like, says God. Now that's all been quite heady and philosophical, perhaps more so than usual. So just to finish, here's a couple of practical challenges and thoughts for us as a church, as Magdalen Road, but some things to maybe be chewing on and considering in home groups. But maybe we need to re-examine and rework and consider what our incorrect cultural or subcultural gender stereotypes are. Not overplaying or, or underplaying our differences, whether in in society or church. Maybe maybe assumptions in terms of how we serve. In terms of the part that the different genders play in church life. I don't know whether it's looking across to the hatch there, thinking who usually serves the coffee after church. Or who usually teaches the kids in junior church. Or who usually does the PA. And so then, then to ask the question... Rather than just absorbing from our, our cultural stereotypes and what we see around us, what does it really mean in God's eyes to be a man or a woman in his design? Maybe to ask, how do I use the gift of gender that I have, complicated and distorted and broken though it is, for, for the good of others in society, for, for those in the church? What does it mean to be a godly man or a godly woman? I I think it'll mean at the start, recognising it may not answer all the specific questions that we have, but reading his word carefully and prayerfully. And And then digesting what godly and loving and wise, complementary, God imaging manhood and womanhood looks like as we live a community together. What that patient-serving, self-giving complementarity looks like. As together we image him. But it would also mean this. And this is key. This is a really important phrase. It's an acknowledgement that this side of Genesis 3, none of us are entirely comfortable in our own skin. That there will always be a right lack of contentment as our, our desires and our loves are skewed and our identity is confused and that will be a battle this side of Jesus returning. This side of new creation bodies. You see, at the very core of who we are, we are broken and fundamentally we're not at home. We're in broken bodies and minds. And This side of Genesis 3, none of us are entirely comfortable in our own skin and And so for some, that will be a wrestling with gender identity issues. Maybe exacerbated by our society's current normalising of it, but but it may well be there. And yet, do you know this? As we were thinking last week, the loving diversity of the church ought to be a great and welcoming and refining and sanctifying and challenging place for each and every one of us. Wherever our identity struggles are. For all of us it will mean an honesty that says I'm not at home and I struggle. And I will frequently fail 
And so I will frequently find myself at the cross, bowing my knee to the one who perfectly images the Creator. Bowing my knee to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us please as we wrestle with this difficult, confusing, complicated topic, emotive topic in our current society. We pray that this side of the cross, when when all of us are, are at some sense away from home and struggling with our identity, not, not comfortable in our own skin, we pray that we might look to the Lord Jesus. Give us patience and grace and clarity to think through carefully and prayerfully together what it means to be a man or a woman and living in complementary relationships and diversity in the church so that together we may image you. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.